The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. You may notice I'm not an Aggie, but my wife made sure this was the last clean mug in my house. So I guess gig'em. I don't really know how to do that right, but she'll be proud that I was drinking from it. I'm uh, I'm, we're in a series that we're calling Sacred Frames. We're looking at stories and films uh, and places of art that we find inspiring. And a few weeks ago, I taught you from uh, the Bible mainly, but some of the themes that arose from one of my favorite shows uh, from years back, The Sopranos. And I wrote a book on it years ago, so I literally told you I could preach like 100 sermons on this show. And the engagement with it after was so much fun that I skipped what I was supposed to preach about so I could preach more about The Sopranos. So, um, so if you want a book, literally we're giving them away. They filled my garage forever. Uh, I've donated them all to the church. They're free. Get them for your cousins. Like I'll sign them, tell them you paid 20 bucks for it and it's their birthday gift. I don't care. Um, so they're all there at the connect table. And, uh, and they are free, and I'm gonna read from it in a minute. One of the things that was challenging when I wrote this book, one, my dad is a Baptist pastor, and Baptists aren't supposed to watch The Sopranos, right? Like, you're not supposed to drink wine or watch The Sopranos, and if you do both at the same time, like, that's, that's really bad. And, uh, and, and so, when, uh, when I wrote the book, he was like, this is, is, you know, this is a lot. Like, this is pretty violent and explicit, this show. And, uh, but he liked it when this one guy, I sent, got an email from this guy. He, sa- and he said, like, I'm going to use an Italian accent because he sent me, he was like, hey, I'm in the mob, okay? And, uh, and he said, I, I, I bought your book by accident. And um, I didn't know it was a Jesus book, right? He sends me this long email. And I was really pissed when I found out it was a Jesus book. But then I read it. And he was like, I'm, I'm kind of like interested in Jesus. So we started this email dialogue back and forth, right? And he's like, this is kind of what I do, and, and, uh, but I'm a little confused. And, and along the way, he was like, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, right? Because if you ask me, I'll tell you what it means to follow Jesus. And it's a good life. It's the life you want. He, he liberates you and frees you and invites you into beautiful things. And I can be pretty convincing because I got to live the life and I get to live the life and it's a beautiful thing. And he says, that's what I want to do. So he comes to faith and he's like, I want to meet you. Like I sent him a Bible and we were back and forth. And, and then he said, you know, anytime you're anywhere on the East Coast, I can meet you because I go to DC every week and then I travel back to New York. And I'm like, is he dropping something off or picking something up, right? And then like, do I want to meet you before he's made the drop off or the pit? Like, I don't know which one. It got really confusing to try to figure out. I, I got another email from a guy in California who was, uh, he read the book and he loved it and he was obsessed with all the mafia films, right? Uh, the Godfather and Goodfellas and like, he's literally obsessed with them. It was an 18 page email. And, and, he, and he basically proposed in the email, he said, you know, I'm so in organized crime, I, I think you and I should form a Christian mafia. And he said like, you can be the boss because you wrote the book and I'll be one of your captains. And I'm, you know, I blocked that guy so fast. You're like, it's. It's had fascinating responses, but the truth is great art tells stories that we relate to and stories we relate to involve the life and faith that we want to live. And one of the reasons I fell in love with this show was because Tony Soprano is very much like me and like you and very much like one of my favorite writers in the scripture, uh, King Solomon. And the way that Solomon talked about life in Ecclesiastes, right? He, he said, like, 
You, you watch Tony Soprano, you think like he's got the life, he's got the biggest house, he's got all the power. I mean, he's just constantly overloading on pleasure. He's eating amazing pasta while he drinks a cognac. Uh, while he just like, it's so much, right? All this pleasure. And you know what? Inside he was miserable. It, it's like one of my dear friends who forever, he just had this idea that if he had this house, right? that like he would finally have arrived, like the world would be right. And this is a few years back, but he, he built the house. I mean, literally, it was 10,000 square foot. And I'll never forget, he called me the day that he moved into the house, right? You know how many days that house brought him joy? Zero days. He realized the day he moved in, this house is gonna own me, I'm not gonna own this house. And, and it flipped everything for him. Solomon was the richest, wisest man that ever lived. Literally, if you could calculate inflation, he would make Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and everybody look so unbelievably poor. And yet he wrote, it's meaningless, right? And chapter one of Ecclesiastes, this is what he says. He says, these are the words of the teacher, son of David, he's Solomon. He says, life is fleeting, it's like a passing mist. He goes, this is what life is like. And this, this by the way, is Solomon's diary. That's why the Bible's so awesome, by the way. The Bible's not a book, it's a library, and it's filled with all different kinds of books. Paul's letters are really different. There's apocalyptic literature. All the gospels are really different. Ecclesiastes is a diary from the richest man that ever lived. And you know what he says? Everything apart from God is meaningless. He says, it's, it's, like, it's like trying to catch a mist, catch hold of it. Remember when you're a kid and you, freak, you breathe and on a cold day and you're like, whoa. You couldn't believe, like, what is, and you'd try to grab it, right? He said, that's what life is like. You think this thing's gonna make you happy? Anybody have this idea when you were growing up that you just thought, like, most of the time, I think in the US, like, it's a car. For me, it was a Jeep. Like, I just thought, if I drove a Jeep, everything would be right in the world. Anybody else have that illusion? Right? And I was just like, if I had a Jeep, like girls love guys with Jeeps and like girls would just be lined up wanting to talk to me in my awesome Jeep and I'd be driving around with like the wind blowing through my hair, which I have no illusion of that anymore. And, and I just thought it would be amazing, right? And then I got a Jeep. And you know what happens when you get a Jeep? In Texas, you sweat all the time, you stink. Girls don't like smelly guys. Everybody takes all your stuff because you can literally just read, like, I'll take that. Like, whatever was in there, it was, you constantly, you couldn't keep anything, right? Having a Jeep did not make me happy. And we live in these series of, like, shell games of, like, well, if I get that, it'll make me happy. Solomon goes on and he says this. He says, it, it all vanishes like a vapor. Everything's a great vanity. What good does it do to work so hard again and again, sun up to sundown, all this labor to gain but a little, Right? And then he explains what's essentially like the greenhouse effect. He's like, the wind travels north and south, right? He says, the sea um, all flows into the sea, and yet it never fills. Go on to verse 7 or 8, right? And he says, words, 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 so many words. They're wearisome, and yet people cannot refrain from speaking. And then he says this. It's fascinating. He says, no eye has ever surveyed the world and said, I've seen enough. He says, nobody, literally nobody goes, you, you go to the Greek Isles and then go, awesome. Like I've done it, I'm coming home to Houston and I'm done, right? 
Houstonians go to the Greek Isles and we see it and we go, I'm buying a place in the Greek Isles. Like, that's what I'm doing. I'm gonna own a place in the Greek Isles. We want more. He says, the more I see, the more I wanna see. The more I hear, you don't go to a great concert and go, done. Like, I'm a Swifty, I heard her once, like I'm done, right? You want the next one, right? And you'll literally kill people to get those tickets. He says, you never, it's never, ever enough. In The Sopranos, they asked Christopher Maltes, uh, Michael Imperioli, who played Christopher Maltesanti in the show, they said, what's The Sopranos about? This is what he said. He said, it's about an American man in his middle years who has had a certain degree of success and his unhappiness with it. I can tell you, Ecclesia, that could be a story about any man or woman in Houston. They have had a certain degree of success and their unhappiness with that success. Tony asked in the middle of the show, he said, he said, what's the point? You go to Italy, you lift weights, you watch a movie. It's all a series of distractions until you die. And for many of us, that's the story of what Solomon says is life apart from God. He says, if you think things of this world are gonna satisfy you, they will be like a mist. But the mystery and the beauty that Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes, he says when all those things are connected to God and God is the source of joy, then the things are things we just hold loosely. And, and we give them away and we share them and we don't believe they're going to satisfy them. And The Sopranos is a window into that. It's one of the reasons that I love it. Secondly, it brings up really important issues. I'm gonna bring up one I never would have preached on, except Tony Soprano likes to talk about it. It's this idea in the Bible they call generational sin. This idea that the sins of the fathers or mothers are passed down and cause harm to children and grandchildren. In the Bible, it's clear that this is a, this is a reality. What, what does it mean? And um, what are the implications of it? This is one of the things Tony struggled with as he tried to figure out um, how his life had affected his son, Anthony Jr. This is him talking with his therapist, Dr. Melfi. My son curled up on a couch in a fetus position. Have you talked to him? Till I'm blue in the face. We both have. And now we're afraid to talk to him because of what he might do. Obviously, I'm prone to depression. A certain bleak attitude about the world. But I know I can handle it. Your kids, though. It's like when they're little and they get sick. You'd give anything in the world to trade places with them so they don't have to suffer. And then they think you're the cause of it. How are you the cause of it? It's in his blood, this miserable existence. My rot genes have infected my kid's soul. That's my gift to my son. Tony knew it, and the truth is, for many of us, life is overwhelming because we know, especially many of you in the room, you're young parents, and you're getting the sense. We got so many young parents in this room and in the one at 11. You're getting the sense, like, when I mess up, my kids are going to pay the price of it, right? Some of us are old enough to have already messed up enough to go, like, my kid, Tony knew it. 
The, thing, the choices I make today have an effect on my kids. Now, the truth is, our kids, nope, none of us are born into a perfect world, right? And you don't get to blame your parents forever, right? The ancient Hebrews had this expression. They said, the parents ate sour grapes and the children's teeth were set on edge. Is what it says in the Hebrew. For us, the better expression would be, uh, the parents uh, ate a sour lemon and the children puckered their lips, right? You're saying, like, they did something wrong and we paid the price for it. And, and there is some truth to that. There is this sense that our choices affect other people. And it's one of the reasons we have to take seriously. Like, how we live and the choices that we make and the way that we love and what's important. And so I gotta tell you today, one, if you're an older person slash parent that's already made mistakes that hurt other people, know that everyone does. And you gotta show grace to yourself. And if you're in a younger place in life and you're in that place, can I just take a moment and pray for you and with you that you'd make the best decisions you can and you'd show grace to yourself. And then I'll read to you a scripture that I think will encourage you. God, I thank you for so many young parents in the room. And as some of us that are a little bit older, and not just parents, Lord, just everyone, we, we make choices that affect and hurt other people. And we pray, God, that we would make the best choices that we can. We know that often we fail and we pray for grace in those places. We pray all of that together and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. And Deuteronomy explains part of what this reality looks like. And, he, and God says to his people in Deuteronomy, you're not to bow down and worship any images of any other gods, for I'm the eternal, your God. I'm jealous for worship, bringing punishment on you and your children to come, even down to your great grandchildren, whoever hates me, right? Now again, most of us know, just like God, like, it's not that God chooses to do something extra to punish us. The truth is, our bad choices become punishment enough, right? If you're a parent, you know, like, I got a 17-year-old, I can't ground him. Like, there's nothing I can, if somebody knows how to ground a 17-year-old, let me know. I got no idea how to do it. All I can do is let him sit in the consequences of his own choices. And that's always the hardest thing, right? But the good news, he says, those bad choices can go down to children grandchildren, he says, even great-grandchildren. But it says this, instead, those who obey my commands and truly love me will receive my loyal love endlessly, even for a thousand generations. Now, do you hear that? Our bad choices go down four generations. Our good choices to love God and obey him, they last a thousand generations. The good things we do multiply and they multiply on our kids. And so most of us have made some bad choices. We've also made some good ones. And we've been a blessing. And I wanna encourage you to lean into those good choices and not focus. It's literally like anybody, I'm not a great motorcycle rider, but I've had a motorcycle a few times. But you learn really quickly if you drive with this paranoia of like, literally what happens is like if you're worried about potholes, you just look for potholes and you steer into potholes. That's just part of what you, you do. And if you live life that way and you're just worried about where you're gonna fail all the time, you'll just fail more and more. But if you say, what I wanna do is I want my life to be a blessing to a thousand generations. Ecclesia, you will, you will. Thirdly, and then we'll um, head towards communion. One of the things I love about this show is that Tony Soprano looks like he's rich and wealthy and he's got it all together. 
but I could pick anybody. I could throw a rock in River Oaks and find people that have all the success on the outside, but on the inside, they're saying, I, I just want to belong. Tony found this when he, uh, in, in the pilot episode, he had a family of ducks come live in his pool. And he became obsessed with them. He loved these ducks. And what he learns later on in therapy, the, he, he literally passes out in this first episode I showed you a few weeks ago. And he thinks he has a brain tumor or a heart attack. You know what happened? He figured out later, he had a panic attack because the ducks flew away. And they were symbolic of a family. This is a little bit about that story and then him talking to Dr. Melfi about it. A couple months before all this, these two wild ducks landed on my pool. It was amazing. They're from Canada or someplace, and it was mating season. They had some ducklings. My daughter's friend was here to drive my daughter, Meadow, to school. First, it felt like ginger ale in my skull. Since the ducks left, I guess. The ducks that preceded your losing consciousness. Let's talk about them. Anybody ever walked out of therapy like that? Don't raise your hand, that's probably too much. It's probably too much, right? And yet, like, it's the ducks that he can't talk about. Why? Because Tony wanted to belong. He, he was afraid his family was going to leave him. He was afraid he was going to be abandoned. And the ducks were symbolic of it, right? And the truth is, none of us are any different. 
What Tony needed was a community, a community of people that choose to love you even when it's not easy, right? What he needed was a church. In Ecclesiastes 4, Solomon says it this way, right? He says, he says literally, again, I observed another example of how fleeting life is under the sun. Again, in Ecclesiastes, under the sun is apart from God. He said, apart from God, right? And again, you could be a part of a group of people. You join a country club or a rotary club. What I'd tell you is, you're not gonna find the kind of loving, caring, serving community in that place that you find in a group of people that commit to being a part of the body of Christ, to love one another and serve God together. He says, I saw this under the sun apart from God, a person who's all alone with no child, no sibling. Anybody remember that awfully sad commercial from like the 90s? The woman like, she's, she yells, she's, I've fallen and I can't get up, right? Anybody remember? And you're just like, oh my God, like where are her people, you know? I've fallen and I can't get up. And you just thought like, why is she by herself? Solomon's saying, that's what it feels like. Tony Soprano's saying, that's what it feels like. I'm afraid I'm gonna fall and I can't get up. Why? Because you need somebody to help you. He says, they had no, no child, no sibling, yet he works hard his entire life. Still, he's never satisfied with the wealth he gains. Does he stop and ask, why am I working so hard and why am I depriving myself of life's pleasures? This too, he says, is fleeting. It's like trying to catch hold of a breath. It's a miserable situation. And then Solomon explains it. He says, listen, here's the truth. Two are better than one. Because a good return comes when two work together. If one of them falls, the other can help him up. And it should say, say when one of them falls, right? Because at some point, we're going to trip and fall. He says, but who will help the pitiful person who falls down alone? In the same way, if two lie down together, they can keep each other warm. Isn't that amazing that the body heat of two people can warm you, but if you're by yourself, you can't? Like that something happens in that interchange? It's, it's amazing. He says, they can keep each other warm, but how will the one who sleeps alone stay warm against the night? And if one person is vulnerable to attack, two can drive the attacker away. As the saying goes, he says, a rope of three strands is not quickly broken. He says, if the rope gets stronger, it gets stronger and stronger. And what we need is to be a part of community, where, a place where we can belong. So this is what I wanna invite you to. We're gonna start in a couple of weeks, after Ash Wednesday, our Lenten journey. And Lent is a season for the church that we engage the most meaningful idea of Christianity, resurrection. It's so important that we take 40 days and six feasting days of fasting and feasting to prepare ourselves so that we can celebrate the truth of the resurrection well. And one of the best ways we can do that is to be a part of community. So this is what we're asking and inviting you to do at Ecclesia is become a part of a group that will last, we're gonna have them all over the city, all kinds of groups in all different places. It'll last four weeks. If you hate the people, you'll never have to see them again. You can disappear. But I'll tell you, this is what happens at Ecclesia. Like, I, I often wish when I sit up here, I'm like, if you knew who was on your row, you wouldn't believe it. Like, there's so many amazing people in this room, and I probably know more of you than you know of each other, but I gotta tell you, there's amazing people in this room. And what happens, it's one of the reasons when we take people to Holy Land and they spend that much time together, they become lifelong friends. Literally, lifelong friends. They love each other, in part because we just have awesome people around, and because we have a culture where we're allowed to be ourselves. You're allowed to be vulnerable. In fact, you should be. 
So you're gonna have four weeks that you can lean in. A part of that, we're gonna do some different experiences for as many of those groups as possible, and a lot of them, I'm gonna host a meal for you, a really meaningful meal. Um, we're gonna engage those groups in some really great ways. And we're gonna have some groups that are focused around seeking beauty and doing some experiential things. If you're interested in doing that, this is what I want you to do, is you're gonna text to 97000, and some of you are like, I'm way cooler than Tony Soprano and I don't need to belong. Great, congratulations. I don't believe you. Um, I believe all of us desire all of that. A place that we can connect in community. So all I'm inviting you to do is to text 97000 and just text Lent Group. And then we'll have your information. And what you're going to get is a menu of things that are going to start to come out. We're going to connect people to some different groups and experiences. And four weeks will either be one of the most meaningful things you ever did, or it'll be like, I did what the pastor asked, and he was a liar. And it wasn't really that helpful. And I'll apologize to you, and I'll buy you a taco, okay? Free tacos for anyone who joins a group and hates it. On me. Free tacos. So... That's the exchange I'm willing to make. And for many of you, a lot of those groups are going to go through. I have a devotional that I wrote years ago uh, that guide you through Lent and through a fasting experience. It's called A Place at the Table. And I've donated all of those books to the church. And so they're free to you. They're at the Connect table. And if you grab one, you can start to kind of get a little glimpse. Don't read too far into it. Read the introduction. And then during Lent, you'll have something to read with that group and with our community to be able to do that well. My guess is Ecclesia that no matter how amazing you are, that you have this sense like I have that I, it's important for me to have some people that I belong to, that I walk with, that I share life's struggles and successes. And whether you're Tony Soprano or Christy or Sean Palmer or Mitzi or you name it, we all need and desire that. So I'm gonna pray that God will open those doors for you as we walk together in this Lenten season. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.